This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching. Here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. So I'd like to introduce my guest for this episode. I'm absolutely delighted to introduce to you Ian Renshaw. Um, So could you just tell us a little bit about uh, you and what you coach and a little bit about your background, Ian? All right. So thanks for having me on, Marianne. Um, I'm a social professor in, I guess, skill acquisition and sports coaching at um, Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane. I've been here since 2007. I always get that wrong. So um, 2007, before that, I was in Auckland um, in charge of the coaching stream of units over there, the coaching department. Um, before that, I was at Sheffield Hallam. Before that, in Teesside. Um, before that, I taught PE for four years in Middlesbrough, um, at Nunthorpe School. Um, fantastic school. Um, and before that, I did um, PGC teaching at Loughborough with Rod Thorpe, Dave Bunker, and before that I did a human movement degree at Carnegie um, Elite. So um, my main coaching really over the last 10, 12 years has been in cricket, Um, but before, well, before that was with with soccer, with football, as I try and tell them it is over here. Um, But in New Zealand, um, coached my son's age groups going through from under seven, um, when he got to 11, I wasn't allowed to coach him because he was in an 18. So I coached the under 17s, which was great fun. Really um, worked with a, a very good German coach in East Coast Bays in, in Auckland. Um, and before that, back in England, really, I, I, I did a, quite a lot of rugby union coaching. Really, when I got into teaching, I really got um, got interested in rugby. It was far more fun to, to teach and to coach especially in Middlesbrough where they're all football stupid and didn't know much about rugby, but of course knew everything about football. So um, ended up doing some coaching awards on that and try to pick up as much information and knowledge as I could um, and, and sort of coach that and ended up at the university coaching the union men's and women's teams. Um, but coach a lot, you know, obviously as a teacher, you coach all different sports, but I would say mainly soccer, rugby and, and cricket. And I was really keen badminton player when I was younger. So um, I've always had a, a passion for badminton, strangely. <laughs> um, so, that, yeah, that, that's, that's what I coach. But um, my work requires me to work, prepare HPE teachers. They call them HPE, health and PE teachers here, um, sports science students. So um, it's all about all different activities so not just the the human movements but also different sports um, which which keeps it all fresh and fun and it doesn't really matter the principles are the same so it's, it's just good fun trying to apply them to different sports and then in the last three years I've taken up golf and um, I've basically used the whole of our approach to, to teach myself golf and, and uh, it's been going all right to be fair so I might ask for some tips because I've got a golf course here that I that I rarely I rarely use and and um yeah uh, Kendall McWade and Stu keep saying get out there. Right, yeah, well we've got a book coming out next month as uh, part of the constraint led series um, with Pete Arnott and Graham McDowell from who are cult, um, coaches in Scotland and Graham works at the at the uni up in 
in Scotland as well. So we've got a, a book on coaching for golf coming out. So um, quite a lot of the examples in there of games we've made up or developed and, and used over time. So uh, we know they sort of work. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to put it on my on my book list. <laughs> yeah. yeah, make me rich. Two dollars <laughs> for every book or something. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I, I mean, you've obviously been involved in writing a lot of books as well, and it's uh, uh, and I know you're involved in the crickets out out so, hmm. uh, so lot, lots of different sports, which is brilliant. Really good to um, for the listeners yeah. to, to to recognise that you've been involved at lots of different levels and lots of different sports. So, yeah. um. That I guess the million dollar question is how and how did you end up exploring an ecological approach and a constraints led approach in your coaching practice? Um, I, I think it goes back to um, my my roots as a teacher, um, and of course when you start teaching in the nineteen literally nineteen eighty six, um, it wasn't really an approach then. We didn't really know too much about ecological dynamics. It was obviously around Gibson's book eighty six. Um, but I, I typically taught from that traditional view warm-up drill game. You know, if you're lucky, you get a game at the end if you've not cocked it up. Um, and then I obviously got exposed to the teaching games for understanding approach at Loughborough. Um, and, and just as significantly, um, um, Jim Greenwood, who who wrote a couple of books, one called Think Rugby, one called Total Rugby. And when I got into into coaching rugby that became my bible and um and and jim was a really progressive thinker and i remember talking to rod about you know did you work together and you know he said well not really you know (laughs) but obviously being in that environment there's overlap and people like beryl reed who's in hockey who's um, pushing the same ideas and then when i was teaching i found it was it worked better by using more what I didn't know was constraint-led approach, really, um, and that more of that ecological model. And then um, I did um, a master's degree one day a week when I was at Teesside, where I went up to Edinburgh and, and did a coaching studies master's with John Lyle. Um, and then I had to do a, a thesis um, for that, and I ended up um, going back to my roots, or my undergraduate roots, looking at um, perception perception action cricket batting looking at um, spin bowling um, and that got me back into that literature um, and I also worked with a guy called Mark Scott who was one of Keith, Keith Davids' PhD students who'd come to Teesside from Liverpool and he'd been he did some his PhD around catching but also he'd, he'd done some work on long jump run-ups and immediately of course I saw the link then to cricket bowling run-ups um, and then we uh, Mark put me in touch with Keith and we went we went that way from there so um, you look back in the mid 90s and um, I found you know you find old files and notes and um, I didn't realize we were probably a reasonable way along then but um, in implementing the approach but nowhere near what we know now obviously um, but I, I think there's two things one it worked I, I found it just works um, and then um, it's just more fun. It's just much more fun as a coach to to be a, a problem creator and a problem solver. So I I like looking at, at situations and go right. What can we do, and how can we how can we facilitate learning with that without going into you know so that it's actually going to transfer and work rather than 
um, just going through the motions. And um, I guess I learned a hell of a lot working with, with my son, who was obviously a reasonable cricketer. Um, and that was really interesting going up with him, going through each age group and then rep level and so on and so on. So I um, learned a hell of a lot from coaching him. I'm still I, doing, actually. Yeah, you're, you're, you're what, what level does he... I thought he's um, high, yes. high level, isn't it? So he's he he played Test cricket at, at, um, for Australia. So yeah. he's not not in there at the moment, but he plays for Queensland and um, plays Big Bash. So um, uh, yeah, it's it's a very interesting journey. Yeah, fascinating. <laughs> I do mm. I do always say to people that my because um, my son was small when I did my first. Uh, my un- my undergrad uh, I had him quite young and, and so I had my own little lab rat which was amazing that I got so yes. fascinated <laughs> in just supporting him and I to become skillful and almost like hack, hack our learning system it felt like that somebody give me mm-hmm. to, to do something which was yeah which yeah. Was an experiment with <laughs> yeah I got accused of that as a, in being my experiment you know so but, yeah yeah. Um, so it would be nice to have uh, uh, just some examples of, of what um, you know. You, you've sort of touched briefly on 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 some of some examples, but a little maybe a bit more in depth for the listeners. So you know, an example of what um, you know a practice uh, would could look like with a with a, a constraints led approach. In pick a sport. Um, <laughs> pick a sport. Any sport. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of, I, I wrote about in um, in 2010 in a I think it was a paper for P and Sport Pedagogy was an example from rugby of um, a problem that I was seeing with a, a school school classes really so under 14 14 year old year third years as they were then when we were <laughs> before they became year nine or whatever um, and you, you've obviously got mixed ability. You've got kids in there who are not rugby players. They're just doing it as part of their lesson. And um, one thing that I saw was when they got tackled, they threw the ball up in the air. They didn't set the ball down in concrete, you know, like you would want them to. So I looked up all the drills, um, got kids on the knees in a square, take the tackle, put it down, set it in concrete. Next person goes over the top. Da-da, da-da. So you go around and round. They're all doing it beautifully. Um, and then, so, right, we'll go back to the game, you know, a little seven-a-side game or whatever. Um, first tackle, the ball goes back into orbit. You know, they're not putting it down. You're going, so that really worked. Um, what could we do differently? And then at that point in time, I said, right, well, now we're going to change the rules. So if you put the ball down in concrete now, your team get a free pass. So it immediately made a difference. And... Um, it actually changed the problem then rather than doing the technical issue it became back to a decision making issue it, it, it had a an unexpected effect which i think often when you implement a constraint it does um you, sometimes things that you don't expect to occur happen and, and what happened was that with them being all being a soccer background football background they all tended to go ahead of the ball so teaching second phase play in rugby was really difficult but this solved the problem because they saw that free pass as like a little scrum. It was like resetting after a scrum. So the kids lined out for second phase. It was brilliant. Um, and then after that, it was about which way to attack. You know, like where are the numbers? What are they? 
Um, and then I developed that. Um, we saw some stuff later in, in when I was in New Zealand. Uh, a lot of the they play a lot of, well, they play um, a proper game of touch rugby. So it, it's televised. It's on the TV. Um, it's proper organised there and in in Australia. And I just tell them it's a warm up. Really, are you wasting time? But they, it, it, I think it's one of the reasons why their forwards are really skillful, is they play a lot of touch rugby. Um, but I, I saw the, 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 some um, Pacific Island girls doing some some drills, and we just turned that into games. So um, all about perception, action, decision making. But another one in in football was um, when with my under seventeen team, I had a midfield player who was sort of, well just hung, sort of greedy. Really, I don't want to use the word, but he was he was taking hundreds of touches in the middle, slowing the game down, uh, and it was really affecting the team's play. So rather than impose two-touch, um, which I always think gives the defender the answer and, and is so false, is it? You know, as soon as you place, stop the ball, the defender knows where to go. So um, I brought in a, a rule called um, a, a 10 team-touches rule, and I gave the, the team with the ball an extra player in midfield. So they'd always got a bit of an outlet and, you know, um, so soon as he got the ball, he goes one, two, three, four, five. And then all his teammates go, you've just wasted five of our touches. You know, we're not going to get, you have to give the ball up after 10. So it, it, it shaped his thinking quicker. It didn't force him. He could still take, you know, but it actually, he started to lay the ball off and people moved for him. And then a colleague did this at a conference, um, a a PE conference down in Melbourne. And what happened was, and he, and he did it in a school actually, he went out, he took one of our students out um, as part of his PhD into a local school and they brought this rule in. And what happened was the players went wide, they created width because now they could get, they were going to be involved in the game, which was an unexpected sort of finding. Um, so that was a really nice example around around that sort of idea with the, the cricket. Um, sorry, with the, the football. Um, I guess with the cricket, one of our, I think one of our big wins was working with the Australian Academy, um, the AIS Cricket Academy in, in Brisbane when Greg Chappell took over. Um, and we were in a meeting and I presented some of my work and he's, he said, well, we want to get you involved. So. Um, one of the things he wanted to do was to try and make practice more realistic and more relevant rather than concepting cricket where you go in the nets or you go and do a centre wicket practice. And he says basically centre wicket is bat and bowl as people falling asleep in the field and he wanted to create more emotion than that. And then he described um, an activity he'd done when he was coaching India where he'd put a net around from mid-wicket um, running round behind the stumps out to extra cover. So there's a net all around there, but left the, the ground open down the ground because he's trying to get them to hit down the ground more rather than being very risky. And I sort of went away and I thought, well, if we just close that net off and we played, it's like a big indoor game, but outdoors. And it's basically you put a net around the one day circle. So it's a 30 yard circle around around the field and once you step into that net you're in a battle so it's a mental idea as well as a physical you're trying to create a battle so we called it the battle zone and then we got these nets made up 
and um, I watched the, the the academy when they were on the course come up and, and practice that. And but some of the players were coming over for the Ashes and used it and just said like an hour, two hours of that was better than four weeks of nets. And we really saw the the real emotions and the thinking within those games that you would see in a real game. I can remember James Pattinson and uh, people like that um, really getting stuck in, you know, it was full, full Aussie cricket, full and all this, where they're sledging each other and getting into it. It was aggressive, hard cricket, which is exactly what we wanted. And that's what we saw. So that there's, you know, an example at a higher level. And we've, we've tried, I've always used, Games. I've always gone out in the middle and tried to create games with with when working with my son. So, but we we try and add a lot of variability in. Um, and I can remember one game we we had. I have about 70, 80 balls in a bucket or whatever, and I bowl them. Or, um, as I got older and I couldn't bowl fast enough, I used the the dog stick to to sort of bowl at him. But he would when he was fourteen. He was tiny, so he would wait for the bowling machine balls for me to bowl a bowling machine ball because they were hard and rubber and when he hit them they would go further whereas some of the other balls were, were old and you know soft or whatever and he couldn't hit them very far so he'd just work them around and just be sitting on so it was a game you know we're trying to he's trying to get a score he's trying to get a target um, and we're playing the ashes or whatever and um, he would just sit and wait for this ball and then soon and I'd just tease him and keep going with that and as soon as the, one of the bowling machine balls which are you know obvious is red or yellow bang he came down and that was it so you're adding variability and in, in, but also developing that decision making element um, and all about just creating problems and solving problems but linking it always linking it back to the game of so he's playing you know the weekend or um, on Saturday and Sunday and then trying to keep that connection between what we see in the game and what he needs to be working on um, over time. Uh, brilliant. Some uh, great examples there. And I, 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 as I'm listening to you, I, the, the one thing that I think um, stands out for me is, is the, the sort of necessity of a coach to be, first of all, really paying attention to what's happening mm. and then, to, 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 to be creative, to be bold enough to have a go at something and then see what happens and then yeah. adjust. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to just turn, you're not going to just flick through a book and find the right answer and then just go and impress no. everybody. But so that idea of being um, a little bit more um, yeah. creative and trying things and then observing what happens over maybe a slightly longer time period as well, isn't it? Cause it's sort of one of the things about a non-linear pedagogy is that we're not just looking at what we see at the end of yeah. the session. Yeah. I, and I, so I think observation is really crucial and, and to, to observe and coach using this approach, you'd need to know the sport. You can't yeah. just bluff it. You, you know, you can't, I, I, I always say I can coach anything if, if it's just drill based. Mm. You know, I could make myself look a really good coach in basketball or rugby or whatever if, if I did drills. But when you've got a coach from within the game, you've really got to understand what's going on and the principles of play. And I think that's one of the key things missing from most coach education courses is understanding of the principles of play. You know, we hide behind technique training a lot of the time because it's easy to coach. Yeah. Um, and but 
So I was going to say on the other side of that is we want players to explore. You learn by exploration and working it out. Well, as coaches, we have to do the same. And sometimes it means taking a risk and then trying an idea. And sometimes it falls flat on its face and you go, okay, I got that one wrong. Let's move on. Um, but you go away and, and Ross Pinder and I works with Australian Paralympics. He, he talks about the concept of, of um, iterations, you know, like, so you, you try an idea um, that fails or that, you know, and you build and you build and you build until you come up with a, a good idea at the end of it. Um, but I, I don't, you're not just making it up though. And I think that's a key point is that the whole approach, I mean, it's just called a constraint led approach that we use, but sitting under that is a whole lot of theory. And I sort of trying to develop this concept and get into people's head. It's like an iceberg. What, what you see, the lesson is the top, you know, the iceberg is the, that you see above the water is the, the lesson. Um, but underneath that, there's a whole lot of understanding of the principles of ecological dynamics and the, the principles of, of learning, you know, of environmental design that we've tried to develop to help people bridge that gap, which is clearly obviously in the 2019 book with Danny and um, <laughs> Will and Keith. But, yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's and 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 it's really good to hear you say that actually, because I, uh, you know, quite often hear people um, say that they they think that a constraint set approach. Well, first of all, they see it just as a way of of setting up a yeah. practice, using the same sort of ideas yeah. and understanding and pedagogy as they always have been. They just sort of import it. And then secondly, they think, well, it means that you know, like I don't need to be an expert. I'm just going to make it easier or harder or just you know. Mm. And that's that. I I think actually. It, like you say it requires a deeper understanding yeah um uh, of, of uh... i think it's actually but it's like any coaching if you get half it's like half a bit of knowledge is dangerous isn't it and people go on a you know a one hour course on a level one or something and they, they get oh this is the constraint and all they see is the triangle and they don't see everything that goes in it and then they go and well i we see it with our students sometimes you know just randomly throw out a constraint without understanding what they're trying to achieve you know and, and, and I guess the key feature of any good lesson and whether whatever approach you're using is intentions you know what is your goal what are you trying to achieve here you know and that I always look at that that reproductive model of trying to look pretty you know like actually we don't care whether it looks pretty it's whether you can achieve you know there's a Steve War quote you know and it's not how it's how many you know, it doesn't matter what it looks like um, in the end, but of course, you know, if it looks pretty great, but and when it doesn't, that's where you get the criticism. But you know, <laughs> yeah. in the end, um, outcome is what what it's about, really. Which I think leads very nicely onto my next question, which is about sort of benefits and challenges of using this approach. And and one of the things um, that you know when we've talked about, yeah, we do need to have an understanding of the game, but. Um, it's still something that you can start to get your teeth into and and do you know right at the beginning of your coaching career isn't it? you don't have to be level four and hugely experienced no. to, to play around with this no. so um yeah so it'd be great to, uh if you could says what you think the benefits are of using this approach and maybe some of the challenges for somebody who wants to have a go for the first um, time so i guess the challenges is coming up against not coming up against but there's a traditional way that it's been done and if you come along with an approach that's different then you're not doing it properly 
you know, I remember we went into a school and we talked about it and we were, that's not, you know, that's not teaching, that's not coaching, um, which is fine. You know, like if you've been, if you've built your whole career, a 40 year career on using one way and it works for me, then great. Um, but I found it didn't work. You know, I, I, I'll give you an example. A few years ago, for the first time ever, somebody wanted to pay me to coach them, you know, stupid really, but, um, and then I felt I'd, I changed my whole philosophy because I felt I'd got to give them the answer. And I can remember it was, you know, working on this guy in the nets, um, trying to change his grip. His grip was clearly the problem. And I spent probably a week and a half to trying to get it. And nothing was happening. And then I just changed it. I went, you know what? I just want you to drop the ball there. I want you to just hit it there. And it changed the whole thing. You know, and it worked. And I went, I'm really sorry. I just wasted a week and a half with you because I felt as though I needed to share my genius with you, you know, because I know it all where I didn't. And that was a really a big learning, um, a lesson for me. Um, but I think it, it's, it's the, and the strength of it is that you can create change at a, a subconscious level or an implicit level um, without them getting hung up around the you know the internal paralysis paralysis by analysis type idea um if you design it well enough and the, the other thing is it takes time and you've got to allow exploration and the skill i guess is matching the task demands to their um to their current level of ability and keep moving it and keep shifting it on that and i i, I think that's a really crucial part of our understanding of the the, the performer but also our ability to move um, move sessions back and forward and colleague Tony Oldham I know you know is now in Auckland that was said we want we want the kids to come and feel confident at the beginning of the session so we want to give them something that they can do and we want to leave with them thinking that they're good so we want to leave with them something and we put the the difficult bit it wasn't the word he used but the difficult bit in the middle you know, so we hide it almost. Um, and, and I, you know, you can, whatever sport you can do, you can build that around that idea. And I'm, I'm going to put the challenge point or whatever you want to call it in the middle and then ease them back. And, and I, it's, it's interesting, you, I work with my students, you know, like saying if they had 10 goes of, at, at something, how many would you want them to succeed in? You know, and, and I generally work on six to eight. And if you can do eight, then we make it harder. But we work with them to make it hard. If you can do uh, five, six, seven, you leave it where it is. But if they can only do four or less, five or four or less, then we need to make it easier because we've set the task too difficult for them would you, at that moment in time. Would you, I mean, I, I, I listening to that, it's brilliant. Um, and certainly some of those things uh, that that philosophy i've always used in paddle sports and in adventure sports you don't want somebody leaving scared or you're never going to start something towards an end of a session that you can't wrap up either so whether it's horses or, or other stuff but the the um, you know my my early research started in contextual experience and i can't I think it's, this is just about ultimately um the challenge you know where do you put that that challenge points um but uh it'll be interesting to hear what you think about the having having multiple levels so if somebody's only getting four 
they have the choice. They can start making their own decisions yeah, yeah. about changing it so that they hit the six to eight. And if they're hitting eight, there's an option for them rather than waiting for the coach yeah. to move something for them. Yeah, so I remember we, we were doing a, I was doing a session at a school with, with a, probably an under, under 14 team. So they, but they're generally reasonably good kids. And we were trying to get them to use their feet and come down the pitch and hit down the ground. So we'd got, we're actually using a bowling machine, but um, we'd got it so it was creating topspin, so it was creating drop. So the only way that they could hit down the ground really was to use their feet and get to the pitch of the ball. So I put two cones sort of halfway down the net and said, right, every time you get it past the cones, you get two points. And with they got two kids working together, you got five goes. How many points out of ten could you get? Um, and, and if one kid got um, eight, it's right, how could we make it more difficult for you? So then it became, all right, well, I've got to hit one on that side, one on that side, one on here, or I've got to go over the top, whatever. One kid who um, his swing just didn't allow him to hit down the ground, um, particularly on the offside. So what could we do here? Well, we'll move the cone back towards you so we create a bigger target. Now you can get it in. Now we can move it back as you get better. One kid just wasn't moving his feet. So the first time he got none, he just stood there prodding and then, all right. And then he watched the others do it. Next time in, he started to use his feet. So that will be a good example of, of changing the task difficulty um, in, in cricket as well. That, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll, we did, when I was teaching a long time ago, we, we did, um, I had one half of the year and the head of department had the other half. And for rugby, that 14-year-old, that huge difference in size for 14-year-olds, we got the tiny little kid who's, you know, about that wide, skinny as anything and, and frail. And then we've got the big guy who played for like Cleveland or Yorkshire in the same class. And, and I got that group where there was two. I always think there's three levels within a, a, whatever team you work in. Um, and you need to be able to cater for them. And, and Mike had the same in his group. So we said, right, we'll put them all together. And then we'll let them choose. So we put, we put them all in height. We went, you lot are going over here. You lot, and it turned out to only be about 14 of them who were the, the school team and the, the, you know, the rep players are over here. And there was a couple in the middle. Where do you want to go? Which game do you want to go? Because one of them was a, an outstanding sportsman, but he was tiny. And um, he said, I want to go and play with the big boys. And it was actually a, a guy called Graham Murty, who then had a great Premier League career and played, finished up playing for Reading. And a couple of years ago was um, Rangers acting manager and everything. But it was him. He was in that class. You know, and you remember, you, you let them choose to a degree where they want to go and what level of challenge it is. So I think differentiation in teaching is a really important um, concept that you've got to ad adapt for every child. And I always say to them, you know, the most of the kids we get coming to do PE are good, good sports people. So it worked for them. So you've got that issue of, well, it worked for me. Why wouldn't I do it for them? I said, but said, look at the dropout, look at the people who don't like PE and the sport, and it's a massive number and getting worse. You've got to satisfy their needs as well as the, you know, as well as the superstars. So how are you going to hook them and try and get them to play sport for life? Um, so you've got to, you've got to adapt it. Um, 
And the more you can do that, where they can get involved in co-creating, really, um, the less and the better, or the the coaching session, the better. Yeah, thank you. That's, uh, and I think um, even just in, um, you know, the short term, if you're doing that, then when they go home, they can go and do stuff themselves, can't they? They've they've been part of the decisions about, you know, the way they change their practice. So they're learning to be much more autonomous in their practice. Um, Yeah. I, I think the other what doing with you. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say one of the things that I think we forget is that you can have a one v zero game, yeah. or a one v one game, or a one plus one game. You know, and certainly our students going, we can one v zero. It's not a game. It's a drill. I'm going. No, you can make the greatest games in the world. And you know, here we use the Bradman example of him playing little games with his stump and golf ball against the water tank. But you know, you can um, you can create your own games if you Tony Oldham is here boredom is one of the greatest constraints because you start coming up with being funky and trying different things if the coach allows you to do it Um, so yeah we certainly need to be doing more individual stuff I think yeah um, within you know not without it being drill like yeah Brilliant. Thank you. So on to my last bit and, uh, and, and I, I, I'm a little bit short of time, but uh, uh, your top tips for a coach or, or an athlete or anyone who would like to explore an ecological approach for the first time or who's struggling a little bit with it and just kind of wants, wants something to, to go away and play with. Um, top tips. That's, that's an interesting one. Um, you, you, it's a search for knowledge, isn't it? It's it's looking for ideas. So um, I guess it depends on your background as well. Um, I think there's a lot of good podcasts out there, a lot of good materials. Um, find people who who are using the approach and and you know and reach out. You know, most people will be really um, really helpful in trying to to develop your practice and certainly you know something that I get a real kick out of trying to help people um, design ideas or solve problems so um, certainly certainly but then have a go you know go out and try it and you know a lot of time do it with your kids you know (laughs) try it on you be let your kids be your experiment or whatever and um, and just try some of the ideas but I I don't think you can shortcut reading personally but I mean you're learning lots of different ways it is you watch videos you can listen to podcasts you can go and read Um, having a really good understanding of the theory I think as much as you can is is a great starting point and pick the level but make sure you're reading people who know what they you know what they're doing really um without you know being arrogant about it in any way but go and read go and read people who have been using it um and understand it and then apply it into your own situation but i mean rod, rod thought always and bunks always said start with a sport that you you know you know start with something that you you're comfortable with and when i was teaching the first sport i used it with was badminton it works beautifully with badminton you know and you, you'd sort of link that teaching games approach with the constraints um, without them being the same thing but um constraints can build on teaching games for understanding i think um, so yeah go and have a go really brilliant 
Thank you so much, Ian. It's been fabulous. Um, and uh, gosh, there's so much in there. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you. And I've got, you've got some fabulous examples there. And we will add some bits to, to this uh, podcast. So uh, if you've got any sort of particular bits that you'd recommend, I shall pop them on at the end for, for people to go and explore further the stuff that you do, the amazing stuff that you do and have been involved with. Um, so brilliant. Thank you so much. Great. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.